Okay, we are rolling into another episode of The Candace Owen Show. Do you consider yourself to be a free speech purist? Or do you simply, like me, consider yourself to be a free speech enthusiast? Where do we draw the line, or do we draw a line at all when it comes to free speech? I know personally, being a public figure, it's really hard to wake up every day and read things about you that are untruth to know that there is no responsibility whatsoever for reporters and journalists to make up patent lies. Here to discuss all things free speech with me, Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show and author of Another Kingdom. That's Welcome me. to The Candace Owen Show. So great to be here. I know. I, we have to start by telling people our backstory because people don't know. I know. I so, know. I saw you online. I don't know how many hits you had, but it wasn't a lot. No. And I thought, there she is. That's That woman really has got it. But I have to tell you, this is this is my special gift. This is my superpower. You know, I found Jordan Peterson when he had 600 hits and had him on my show. I found you when you were there. I, I put Michael Knowles on my show. I will probably go to hell for that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had a bunch of people. I, I, when I... I you know, I grew up in broadcasting. My father was a fairly famous New York DJ. Uh, he was a famous New York DJ. He wasn't a famous national DJ, but he was a famous New York DJ. And I can spot a good broadcaster from a million miles away. Really? When Ben Shapiro did that uh, morning show, I had never heard him before. I would bump into Ben at functions and shake his hand, say hi and all this stuff. And one day I heard him on the air and I called him up and I said, you know, you are a big radio broadcasting talent. And he was like, well, thanks. Thanks, dude. You know, <laughs> but, but a couple of years later, he was a big radio broadcasting talent. So I've got, a, I've got an eye. Yeah. yeah. People should be paying attention to your show to see what up-and-coming <laughs> talent was. I was I, literally I've got them all. Yeah. a nobody. Let's see. I was nobody. I had made a couple of YouTube videos, didn't really know where it was going to land. And you were the first phone call. It was you and Dave Rubin. Yeah. And you yeah. invited me on your show first. And I just talked about my vision for Black America and everything that I believed. And it was such such a great episode. And now we're yeah. two two years later. Things is that have, all this is? Two years later? Two years. Wow. I know. Two yeah. years later, and, and things have sort of exploded. And now I have the opportunity to have you on my show. How cool That's, is that? It's <laughs> great. It is great. But, he, but you had a special thing, and everybody sees it now. And uh, it was it was easier to see, actually. I just happened to be paying attention. Yeah. Well, not the leftists. They don't, they don't see it too much. <laughs> um, so we were having a discussion in the green room, and you were telling me about an incident that happened at Stanford. And I think it's sort of the perfect place where we can launch point for us to start talking about free speech yeah. and where we're at. Well, I was asked to go to uh, Stanford to talk about the Judeo-Christian foundation of Western culture. And, you know, I'm actually kind of sensitive to the idea that we, we on the right, we like to troll the left because the left is hysterical and they take everything as an insult. And I knew when they asked me to talk about that, that the left would hear that as an insult to gay people and an insult to Islam. And so I was actually going to begin my speech by saying, that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about how the things that we believe in grow up out of Judeo-Christian culture. None of the students had any problem with me. I'm usually really civilized with people. I like to talk to people in opposition. I don't mind discussing ideas and going back and forth. The administration, two women in the administration, uh, the dean of religious stuff, I don't even know what her title was, and some kind of other, uh, you know, uh, administrative woman put out a newsletter saying that I was anti-Islam, that it was uh, unacceptable and deeply disturbing that I should be coming to talk about Judeo-Christian culture during Ramadan, during the holy month of Ramadan, you know. Not allowed to be Jewish or Christian during <laughs> Ramadan, for those of you exactly, listening. Exactly. As if, as if there were some kind of question 
about whether or not our culture grows out of Judeo-Christian ideas, which is ridiculous. I mean, Europe started out as Christendom. It was called Christendom because that's where the Christians were. And that's where all our ideas, all the ideas that go into our founding come from. And when I got there, I stood up and I said, you know what? I was going to apologize and and kind of uh, put out a a sort of, you know, soft soap opening. But as it is, screw you guys. You know, and, and they were sitting there. I didn't know the two women were actually sitting there and they didn't announce themselves. Because, you know, Islam is not a race. It's not, it's not part of the image of God. You're not born Islamic. You know, you and I are both made in the image of God and it doesn't, all, all the rest of that doesn't matter. But your ideas matter. And a religion is a set of ideas. I have made fun of and disagreed with Catholic ideas, my own religion, Episcopalian ideas, Jewish ideas, FT, and Islamic ideas. And if you can't discuss and mock and disagree with and criticize ideas, why have universities at all, right? So it's part of this, I, I felt very strongly, and by, by the way, they did manage to gin up enough excitement that some students came and vandalized the room in which I was going to be speaking. So they did get at least that much excitement out of people and people had torn down my pictures as they almost always do when I go to these places. But it's part of this idea that they're not, we're, we're in a fight of ideas. I'm in a fight of ideas. I'm ready to argue my ideas. If I lose, I'll change my mind. If you lose, I expect you to change your mind. Or if you don't, the voters will change their minds. But they're in a war of territory. They're trying to take away the territory in which we speak, okay? And if you've ever read anything about war, you know, the war of ideas when you go and try to win hearts and minds, you do that by arguing and talking and gesturing with goodwill. But when you try to take territory, you do it by force. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to scare us out of the universities with riots and uh, heckling and with this kind of intimidation. They're trying to hit us on Facebook and uh, YouTube and Twitter and deplatform us. My videos are constantly being taken off or they won't let them uh, have ads and things like that. So they're actually trying to silence us. I've almost been blacklisted out of Hollywood. I had a very uh, successful uh, career as a Hollywood screenwriter. So they're trying to take the territory away. That's correct. In which we have these conversations. And they want to create. Yeah, and they want to create these topics that they believe are above intellectual debate. And I see them doing it all the time. So you're not allowed to talk about Islam, right? If you talk about Islam, they will brand you as Islamophobic. Why can't we talk about Islam? We talk about Christianity. We talk about people that are Jewish. Why can't we even talk about Muslims? Muslim people, right? So if you critique someone who happens to be Muslim, they will call you Islamophobic, yeah. which is pointedly insane, right. right? You should be able to critique people that are black, white, Christian, Jewish, anything. There should be no person or no topic that's above an intellectual debate. And we're seeing more and more of that. And people don't really understand what exactly it is they're after when they try to deplatform you. They are after your entire life. They want to make sure that no one books you, no one talks to you, no one buys your product. I mean, they they have quite literally ruined people's lives by trying to paint them as extremists when in fact they aren't. They just are people that they disagree with. Because you only have to take somebody off his platform for a day to make him think twice about what he says, to make him think, well, should I say that or should I not? And they invent these phrases that are impossible to argue with. Like you use the phrase Islamophobic. There's no such thing as Islamophobia. Phobia is a uh, an irrational fear. Nobody is irrationally fear, f- fearful of uh, Islamic people. Nobody woke up one morning and said, you know what? I kind of have this fear of Islamic people. They right. saw the violence that infests the Islamic community. Something like over 75% of terrorism worldwide is Islamic. Something like 13 of the 14 largest uh, uh, violent conflicts in the world 
involve Islamic people. They're fighting with Christians. They're fighting with Jews. They're fighting with other Islamic people. They're fighting with Buddhists. It can't all be the other guy's fault. Something is happening in Islam. So there's a debate to be had about whether or not th that violence is inherent to Islamic philosophy or is it a cancer in the House of Islam that can be extracted without hurting Islamic philosophy? That's a good debate. Experts should have that debate. I had, really, I had yeah, a debate. I had, absolutely. I had a imam on my on my show, and we discussed it. Yeah. And he said he thinks that Islam cannot ever be reformed. Wow, and that wow. is an imam saying yeah. they can never be reformed. Yeah. He said there are Muslims who personally can be reformed, but as a religion, it can't be reformed because it's written into the DNA and the fabric of what they believe in. Wow. And we we spoke about the Quran, we spoke about the Hadith, and we talked we spoke about certain verses that are in there um, that are hostile towards Jewish people, that you know are hostile towards infidels. Infidels would be me and you. Right. People right. that don't agree with Sharia law. Um, and to have someone like him say that, I'm saying this is this is important. He said that even within the Muslim community, there is a debate. And yet we are having leftists censor the discussion before we can even have it in America. And that, to me, is really alarming. Right. If, if there's nothing to hide, why can't we talk about well, it? Well, that's, of course, that's the obvious question. Why can't we talk about right. it? Why can't we have that debate? And why do we have all these words that cut off debate? You know, when you call someone an Islamophobe, you're essentially calling him a bigot, and uh, which I really resent, by the way, because I bigotry is actually against. It's literally against my religion. <laughs> you know, it's not when I say it's against my philosophy; it's against my religion. Um, so, so I, I really resent when people call you that. But it does make you sort of pull up, right? It makes you say like, "Oh, I don't want to be called that," and so you you start to think twice about what you say. And that is the whole point. The whole point is to make you be silent. And you know. It takes a certain amount of nerve to risk your career and to risk your income and to risk your reputation simply to say that you believe in the things that America has always been about, which are different from the things that every other country on earth has been about. Uh, we're not just here to be nice. We're not just here to be welcoming. We're here to be free. And that's unique. That never happened before. It never happened before that people said the government is the servant of the people. And they have slowly been turning that around. And that's what the real fight is about. The fight right. is about whether we as individuals in our communities, in our states, will be free. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, this brings us to really the First Amendment, right? So that that is something that is is so core to being an American is our right to free speech. And I am I'm totally a free speech enthusiast. I believe we need more speech, not less speech, even if it's something you disagree with. I always say I want to hand a platform to people that have terrible ideas. I don't want to silence Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. I want to hand her a megaphone because I think her ideas are so bad <laughs> that I would love to talk about yeah. her ideas and debate them, and I feel confident that I can defeat her ideas. But I, I am sort of turning, uh, changing my opinion when it comes to free speech in the press, right? And what I mean by that is the press is constantly smearing, libeling, and, and saying things about conservatives that they know to be not true, that they know to be fundamentally false, right? And yet when you become a public figure, it's game on. They yeah. can say whatever they want about you. Different in the UK. In the UK, they can't. They have to prove that they, they said something that was verifiably true. They have, they have a, a stricter libel laws. And I think that in America, we have to adopt that because it's it's sinister and it's a, a, a step towards deplatforming someone when I wrongly say, oh, Andrew Clavin, he's a white supremacist, right? So you could say, okay, free speech, I don't care, but I know that that's not true. So if I call you a white supremacist and I'm the New York Times, right? And I say you're a white supremacist, what does that do? Well, that then s sends a signal to college campuses that they now can say that they are virtuous when they say you can't come speak. That sends a signal to, to gangs like Antifa, they can show up and they can they can vandal you, they can scream at you, they can, uh, enact, they, they can enact violence towards you because they have just been told by the New York Times that you're a white supremacist. Right. So do you believe in that much?
much free speech that people should be able to lie? Well, I'm as close to a free speech <coughs> purist as you can get. Great. And so you're the right guy to talk to. I, when I lived in England for a long time. When I first moved to England, I remember being at a dinner party <coughs> where the guy next to me turned around and said, what is it with you Americans in this written constitution? Why must you have a written constitution? And I, I was so taken aback because I never really lived outside of the country before. They think it's silly that we have to write down our laws. I think it's really, really smart because if there's one thing you know, if the government can get their grubby, controlling little hands on it, they will. And in England, they do. I mean, in England, they have laws like, I think it's called the Secrecy Act. And you say, well, what's the Secrecy Act? And they say, that's a violation of the Secrecy Act. You know, it's like you can't ask what it's about. So the problem I have is if you look at England, they're a free country. They're probably the second most free country in the world. They are nowhere near as free as we are when it comes to speech. Uh, you can be arrested for tweeting something about Islam that they consider to be wrong. You, you know, can so get arrested for tweeting biological facts. There was a woman in the UK that was right. arrested uh, for saying that a male who was trans was a male. Right, right. And that is, so... We can actually make the argument, and I do make the argument, I don't care how you live your life, I truly don't. If you wanna say you're a man and you're a woman, that's fine with me, but you cannot dictate my sense of reality by telling Agreed. me what pronouns I can use. Agreed. So once you start to say to the government, well, here's a little bit of free speech, of our free speech, because I wanna be protected from the New York Times lying about me. Once you give him that much, you give that mouse that cookie, he's gonna come after the whole house, you know? And I think that I, I am really, really wary, because of course your speech, is the, you know, in the Bible, it says what comes out of a man's mouth is what defiles a man, what tells you what's in his heart. Your speech is the essence of your freedom. Your right. speech is your ability to think, say, be who you want to be. I don't want to give the government any ground on that. Now, but then if you don't give the government ground, right, on that, and I'm, listen, I'm playing devil's advocate because I don't really know where I land. If you don't, if you don't give it to the government, then you're giving uh, the freedom to the corporations to ruin people. And I mean, to, to completely ruin people, well, because some of these, some of these publications have so much power that it instantly becomes a truth for people. Well, I read it in the New York Times, right? That's noble. Right. I read it in the New York Times, therefore it must be a truth. Well, but it can be completely fictitious and made up as we've learned with this presidency, that things can literally be made up out of thin air. Right. And what about the little people who can't defend themselves against that, who get deplatformed and don't have a job? Why should we allow publications to murder the careers? Well, wait, you're talking about, you're you're putting together a bunch of different things here, okay? First of all, you know, the New York Times can't just lie about anybody. It can't just lie about an ordinary guy who's walking by. There's the public idea figures. he's got to be a public figure. Right. Now, a public figure can be a broad thing. And even then, if you can show that they have malice toward that figure or, or even towards his ideas, you can sue. I mean, you can bring action against the New York Times. Now, I would prefer to live in a world where the New York Times can call Donald Trump a Russian spy, which they virtually have. have. And it's complete nonsense. <laughs> Welcome to the world. It's complete nonsense. And it's, but he's the president. He's got a lot of power. And I would like the press to have as much power as he, you know, in other words, I would like them to be able to say virtually anything about our politicians. Uh, and, and so you want to be careful when you start to say they can't do this and they can't do that. Um, when you start to talk about deplatforming, that's a totally different thing, because then you're talking about the power of a corporation to limit free speech. And I hear a lot of right-wingers say, well, it's a private corporation. They can do anything they want. I don't agree with that. I think if you are a platform as opposed to a publisher, right? If I'm a publisher, 
And I, I can say, I'm not going to publish Candace because I don't agree with her. I can say that. But if I'm a platform, I got to publish everybody. The phone company has to let everybody use the phone, right? They can't say, oh, you and I are talking. We're taking you off the phone because we don't like what you're saying. Not, Facebook should not be allowed to do that either. Google should not be allowed to do that. Twitter should not be. So I think the difference in what you're saying, what I'm saying is that you view these as two separate points. I view these as a marriage. So I think step one is you being smeared and libeled by the press, right? And the le- the, the, the press, let's use Alex Jones for an example, right? So they, paint, they, they say he's a far right extremist. His ideas are dangerous. He's inspiring hate in the world. So that's step one is that the press has painted you into a corner. Step two is that then allows platforms like Facebook and Google and you you know YouTube and uh, Instagram to then deplatform you on the basis of they've done they've looked into you and they've researched and they've determined that you are a hateful yeah, they figure should, they should so not be allowed to I do don't that, think though. you can separate them oh, but I think you can because I think one of them is uh, one of them is attacking you uh, and the other one is silencing you so one of them you know the left used to know this this drives me crazy the left used to know that a corporation can become so big that it becomes a government unto itself right remember the left when the left would complain about corporations or the evil bernie sanders who's still living in the 1930s is like still yelling about the evil corporations they used to understand corporations can become power centers and what we're all about in america is limiting power centers right making sure that power centers play off each other when something as powerful as facebook which is now effectively a, a monopoly says you're off the book, you're, you're off our platform. They become a publisher and then you should be able to sue them for every lie that's told on their website. That's wow. the, that is the uh, answer to that. In other words, the minute they start to act as a publisher, you should be able to sue them if somebody else lies about you. Okay, okay, so you're you're okay with, you have these publications that are saying horrible things, you're not okay, but then you have these platforms that are taking, taking those- territory hor- yeah, away from you. Taking yes. territory. And, and, and by the way, I'm not okay with uh, the New York Times right, okay lying about you. Okay is a weird way to say it, but- I, What I'm talking about is the latitude. We're, ta- right. we're, not, we're talking about levels of latitude. We're saying in the UK, you can sue people pretty easily, no matter how much of a public figure you are. Here, you have to show that they actually came after you and meant to, to come after you. That's a very high bar to get very over. Very high bar. But I prefer on speech the bar to be high. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I had it the other way where the Guardian said some hideous things about me and said that I supported Nazis. And you know what? I got a lawyer to fire them a letter. And prove it. Great. You said it. That's fine. Yeah. Prove it. You're right. allowed to say whatever you want. I'm okay with journalists saying whatever they want. And I'm also okay with the injection of opinion, right? So I've had articles calling me a sunken place demon, right? A, you know, a miserable, a miserable sunken place, a satanic force. There was a headline calling me a satanic force. And that's opinion. That's hyperbole. I don't right. really care about that. But then when you build into that and you say that Candace Owens supports Hitler, Candace Owens, you know, um, uh, is hates black people, whatever it is, prove it. Yeah. I just think it should be so basically like, listen, you're a journalist. Your responsibility is you can't just irresponsibly say things. So prove it. You could probably go after the Times, for, for even the New York Times, for saying something like that is defamatory and right. you know, it would, would almost in and itself. I mean, but like I said, I want the bar to be as high as humanly possible because, see, see, this is the thing. This is why I say it's two different fights. One fight is that if everybody's speaking, if everybody's yelling at, at one another, then the power is diffuse. And that's where what I like, okay? You have a voice, you have a power, you have a show, you have a website. We, we all have these venues that we can talk on. You can go after the New York Times right. just as much as they can come after you. That's the way it should be. What the left is really trying to do is they're trying to say it's okay for the Times to do this. But you can't do it. They're trying to get you off Twitter, off Facebook, off Google. You know, they're trying to get your algorithm off, off Google. And, and that's the problem. As long as everybody's speaking, I'm okay with some people being liars because that's just life. 
But when they start to take the territory away in which we speak, the, the uh, platforms that we use that are just now part of technology. I mean, Facebook, it's too bad. It's a private company, but now it's a monopoly and part of technology. They have to let us talk. They right. have to not be able to take us off. And when you have, you have Tim Cook of Apple, who actually made a speech saying, you have no, you're not welcome. If you're a hate hater, you're not welcome on the platform. And I have a conscience, which was given to me by God. And therefore I know when, so, and I think like, really, you're a billionaire corporation. You know, you have no conscience with which to silence me. Right. You know, when, when did we suddenly think that Tim Cook is so, such an angel of delight that he is going to be able to censor us with impunity? No, you know, everybody Everybody should talk. I'm not afraid of anybody as long as we can fight back. Right. And what we're seeing, though, is that you have these organizations like SPLC, and they put you on their list. And what then happens is that you can't do business at certain places. You can't, if you want to rent a hotel room, they have a, you know, a deal or some sort of a, you know, back-end business agreement with SPLC. And if you're on their list, you're not allowed to rent a certain conference room. Right. Or um, uh, I know there have been a few conservatives that have been banned from using certain banks, from using Venmo, from using PayPal, right? That's right. They, they don't pay PayPal has, has gone off certain sites because of their right-wing affiliations. Listen, I have stuff still in Hollywood, projects still moving through in, in Hollywood, that probably the Stanford thing will kill them, you know? And that's going to cost me lots and lots of money. That's so unfair. It's just so it's, unfair. It unfair. Well, life is like that. Life is unfair. Right. But we have to stop. We have to stand up for the territory because above everything else, above every, this is the fight we're in. This fight, it's more its more important than this tax uh, policy or that policy or that regulation. The most important thing is not to allow them to silence people because that's everything. We can win. We can win every single fight unless they gag us and, and shut us down. Where do you think we're at? Are you optimistic or pessimistic in terms of the way that things are trending right now? I'm optimistic because I, I'm optimistic because I believe in a certain strain of common sense in the American people where they start, they start to say like, wait a minute, how come he's got to be quiet? Or wait a minute, you know, when one of the reasons I think Obama lost the Democrat Party every seat but his is that people liked Obama personally, but they were saying to themselves, well, wait a minute, you know, why can't you use the word Islam when you use the word terrorism? Right. When the guy who's committing the terrorism is saying, I'm doing this because I am an Islamic, you know, you should be able to say those things. So there's always been this strain of common sense. The, the British, remember, and all Europeans are used to top-down government. We're used to like, leave me alone, bottom up government. Right. And so when they come to you and say, you can't say this, there, there are a lot of people who get intimidated, a lot of people who are afraid. They've done everything they can to make us afraid. But there is this kind of undercurrent in America is like, get off my back, you know, leave me alone. So right this minute, I'm kind of optimistic. I wish uh, the president would take this on a little bit more. I think this, you know, they're doing it as the election is coming up to silence us. They're knocking people off. That Twitter. is election meddling, it's by a, the way. It is election, it, no question about it. This is the time when I think Trump should come out and say, wait a minute. And he did sort of say it the other day. He said, you can report this. We have a website where you can report it. But he should be much stronger about this because they, they mean it. They mean to shut us down. And when you talk about the SPLC, there are, they are, uh, you know, curating stuff on Facebook and, and they're a totally left wing organization. So, hate group, so my theory is actually that all of the censorship actually came because of Trump. So I think that the mainstream media has controlled the narrative for the masses for so long. Everything that they say, every person that they paint up or down, society as a whole believes it, right? They, if they want to say that Taylor Swift is amazing, everyone as a whole thinks Taylor Swift is amazing. If they want you to think Kanye West, 
dressed as horrible as society as a whole. People will say, oh, he's a jerk, right? Um, and and when Trump came along, he did this weird thing where the mainstream media wouldn't give him a fair shake, so he went to social media and he started tweeting. And the reason that Trump won is largely due to this hole, if you will, this vacuous space where the mainstream media was no longer in control of, which was Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and he got a message that resonated with American people. And now I feel in response, they're realizing we gotta close that hole. We've gotta make sure that we have control over that as well so that we can create a narrative. And so they've started, I think, on the outskirts of banning people that most conservatives feel uncomfortable in terms of defending. So they start with Alex Jones, right? And and if you go around to most conservatives, they say, I dis- yeah, they, they, <laughs> I disagree with him. Yeah. I think he's crazy, this and that. And so what does that do? It makes it so that conservatives won't say anything, right? And and I said my biggest regret was that I didn't speak up for that because I knew it was wrong, regardless of, of whether you agree with him or not. Ban- de- completely banning him or deplatforming him was was a pretty extreme uh especially because it happened on the same day. It was Apple, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. So it should have alerted every conservative to the fact that collusion amongst these companies yeah. is a very big deal. You don't have to like Alex Jones to know that collusion amongst these big tech companies are wrong. You know, Trump has been so successful at appropriating the term fake news that you forget that it was a left-wing term. It was invented by a group called First Draft, who were supported by uh, Google ABC, which was a big Hillary Clinton supporter. Right. It was backed up by David Brock, uh, who's one of George Soros's minions at Media Matters and other sites like that. Uh, Obama then picked it up. Hillary Clinton picked it up. It was a way of, of attacking right-wing speech on social media. And the purpose of it, the purpose of it, as Brock openly said, was to bring in people like the Southern Poverty Law Center, these left-wing groups, to curate the news on Facebook. And he won. He was successful. You know, people always talk about conspiracy theories, and they talk about Pizzagate, which was this crazy thing that the right picked up on, that Hillary Clinton was smuggling child sex slaves through his pizza parlor. What nobody knows, what nobody remembers, is that The guy who ran Pizzagate was a former lover of David Brock's. And so there's every reason to believe, this is in Cheryl Atkinson's uh, book, Smear. There's every reason to believe that the conspiracy itself was a way of blowing back on the right. I mean, this has been a, a project of the left to curate speech on Facebook, on you. And, and let's face it, it's all right-wingers. I mean, they threw Farrakhan in there as a kind of uh, fake flag, but it's all right-wingers who are being silenced. There's no, you know, my pal Matt Walsh was on the Daily Wire. He's uh, he's standing up for unborn children and not killing unborn children. And he's, people are threatening to rape his children online and they're not being censored. Nope. Uh, but if you come out and say something about being pro-life, you can get bounced. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. And that's really scary. And what I say that I think the left is trying to do right now is manufacture reality uh, on social media. They're using social media as a they're means to- They're good at it. Yeah. They're, and they're very good <laughs> yeah. at manufacturing reality. And one of the scariest things is just how easy it is to brainwash people. I mean, people have completely lost their minds. They will believe anything. Yeah. And I never knew this. And I always say that growing up, I remember, I remember first learning about yellow journalism, learning about uh, brainwashing, learning about propaganda, and not realizing that we were living in the living in the midst of it, right? So you learn about it as if it's separate. Like, oh, we're, we're doing yes. a study on yes. World War II, or we're doing a study on the Great Depression, we're doing a study on this, and you're learning about propaganda thinking, well, we're wise enough to realize, obviously, if we're in the midst of propaganda, but we're not. Yeah. We're not. And, and 
now I have people who legitimately believe there are are scores of people that legitimately believe that I'm a black white supremacist. <laughs> That's right. Short sighted. I mean, I mean, out. I just really think. I mean, it's like it's yeah. it's so bonkers. Yeah. And and to get these comments, oh, you're a black white supremacist, and I think to myself. How can you not have a modicum of intelligence enough to just realize that that is pointedly absurd? Whether you hate me, yeah. like me, doesn't really matter, right? But you have to have just a little bit of sense to say, well, she can't be a white supremacist. She doesn't want to create a society that she can't live in, I mean, right? You know, when you have journalists who are, it, it must be, I mean, this is obviously an estimate, but it must be close to 95% of mainstream media journalists are Democrats. And they literally don't know. I think they really don't know how biased they are. So for eight years, they cover Obama. He's scandal-free. I mean, I play this thing on my show all the time, this montage of people saying scandal-free. Right. You know, he used the IRS to silence uh, his opposition. He used, he ran Billion guns to the in Justice cash Department. To dumping billions of dollars into Iran. Scandal-free, scandal-free. And then when they go after Trump for something he clearly didn't do, which is collude with Russia, they think, oh, we're just speaking truth to power. And when Trump says, you guys are liars, this is a witch hunt, it's like he's endangering the First Amendment. Well, we are living, you know, it's, it's, almost, it's almost beyond propaganda. It's almost an atmosphere because they are living in it too. They don't even know they're propagandizing. I think that they are throwing off this like smoke that we're all kind of wandering around in this fog of Democrat uh, observation that that people like us who are using, it's kind of like the American Revolution. They come marching in with these huge armies of liars and we're kind of popping up from behind our rocks, taking pot shots at them from our podcasts and on our websites and all these places, uh, which is one of the reasons I'm uh, optimistic, by the way. I mean, we won the American Revolution. <laughs> I think right, we, right. we could win <laughs> again, you know. But but I, th I think that they don't, you're absolutely right about this. So they, I don't think they even know it's propaganda. You don't think so? I don't think it's like Pravda where they think, well, we can only say that. I, I think they think it's virtue. They think they're being virtuous. See, I don't, see, I, I don't, I, I think that people like Don Lemon know, he knows exactly <laughs> well, maybe, what yeah. he's doing, exactly what he's saying. He knows that he's completely full of it. Yeah. And, you know, just the experiences that I've had with them in terms of how they tried to manufacture, they they wanted to have me on, like to talk about the Blexit movement, but they didn't want to have me on. They wanted to have uh, someone junior, like, oh, just like a young kid that's at the rally. No, because you're smart and you know how to get the guests on that's not going to be able to answer your questions or to combat what you're saying. So I actually think that they are purposefully manufacturing reality that they know doesn't exist. I mean, I can't believe that Jake Tapper is not smart enough to understand uh, what he's doing and what he's manufacturing. I actually think that they know exactly what they're doing, but they're just paid enough to do it. You know, it's. It, I don't want to talk about individuals because I think Don Lemon, I, I'm not even sure Don Lemon is smart enough to know what he's doing. That guy, right, he really he walked, isn't smart. If he walked into a corner, I think it would take three guys to have to turn him around and get him out of there. It's like, he's just, I can't believe this stuff that comes out of his mouth. But I think that that they have so brainwashed themselves, they really do believe that when I say, you know, I think I, it's not like it's not like I'm colorblind or anything like that. I think race is a false category. I think race is a false category of human beings. I, re I really do. You know, what I do think, you mean by that? I just don't think that you can uh, gather people together according to their skin color or even their nationality and find out anything about them except maybe what culture they came out of. Because if you live in Rome, you're going to come out of a Roman culture. If you right. live in uh, Chicago in the in the inner city, you're going to come out of an inner city Chicago culture. But 
I don't think you can gather people according to their skin color or according to their bloodline and tell you very much about them, except maybe what diseases they're prone to get, you know? And, and so I think that when you see the world like that, you're actually seeing false stuff. So people say to me, well, you know, what are you going to do about black poverty? And I think the same thing I do about white poverty. You know, you got to build families, you got to build culture, you got to educate people, same thing. You right. know, it's like, I, I don't think there's any difference there. I don't think there's any, you know, kind of uh, treating, I think treating people according to race is damaging, you know. And, and I think that when you say that, they call you racist. But when they create segregated uh, dorms on colleges, when they say, this is the thing that's happening in the creative industry. This is really happening in, in publishing and in movies and TV. They have a thing called Own Story which means I can't write a character who's black or I can't write a character who's a woman. They just attacked Elton John's new movie because the guy who plays him isn't gay, okay? That means, if you think about that, that means that between you and me, Candace, there is some block that causes me to be unable to share your humanity. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's insane. It's I completely mean, it's, wrong. It's completely it, wrong. It, it, and so, and so they, they call, they call, me a racist for saying that, but for segregating people, for telling people they can't write about people of different colors, for telling us they're so different we can't even understand each other. That's somehow woke. Yeah, that, that is woke. And, yeah. and, and and that is the challenge that I think I always try to communicate to people is that they, they're so progressive, they're regressive. Right? Well, they're so is, is progressive. It's like regressive. We, we've realized we're so woke that we've realized that black people need their own safe spaces. Oh, you mean like literally segregation again? Unbelievable. Right? Like, That's what I mean when I say they, they don't know what they're doing. Their philosophy is so screwed up right. that I don't even know if Don Lemon understands that he calls everyone who disagrees with him a racist. Everything. Does he understand that he's also dating a white man? That's the part that I don't get. <laughs> right? I'm like, I watch him. And I, I, I remember watching so him say that the biggest threat. more about his wife than I do. Yeah. The, the biggest, he said the biggest threat is our, white, our white men. He said that. Oh, That's an actual. we shouldn't demonize people. That was no. same sentence. He's right. Like, but yeah. we shouldn't demonize people. The biggest threat in society is white men. He right. literally has a bright, blue-eyed, white male boyfriend. And I just think <laughs> astonishing to live your life so inauthentically. Clearly, you know this isn't true. Yeah. Right? And that's not that's no pot shot to him. Great. I, I am, I actually am progressive. I believe in interracial relationships. I don't even think it should be a topic or a discussion. Right. I think it's ridiculous that people are even talking about it or people say that whites and blacks, oh, you've sold out if, if you, if you're marrying a, a white person, right? Because I actually am a progressive, right? Conservatives <laughs> right. actually are progressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for him to, to, to say something like that is, is pointedly absurd to, to say the biggest threat facing American society is, is white men and at the same time to be going and be so hypocritical that you know you're, how you're but, living your life but, privately. But that's what I mean. I, I don't think that Don Lemon like puts on his tie in the morning and thinks I'm going to go lie to people. I think he thinks that this is, that he is sharing some truth that he knows that we're just too foolish to see. That's that's what I mean. I don't mean to pick on him particularly, although I don't really like I do. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think he's, I think he's but, horrible. But I think the entire mainstream media has now developed this philosophy. I mean, I don't know if you, I read the New York Times every morning because I write satire. So it gives me good uh, material for satire, you know, but if you look at the New York Times, it, it's just, it's a hate site virtually. It's like Trump does this and Trump does that. And this happened and it's Trump's fault. It's like every single story. I think if you knew you were doing that, you would be ashamed. Right. And I think they do, They no longer hear who they are. I think that the problem right now is that you can't differentiate between satire and reality anymore. <laughs> right? I'm serious. You post satire, yeah. people don't know if it's real or not because it's gotten that absurd that satire has somehow become reality, which makes the job really hard for satire writers like yourself. They, they yell at me because on the Daily Wire, we always put under my pieces, we put satire. 
And they say, who doesn't know this is satire? And I think, like, even I sometimes don't remember what they're Yeah, right. you, don't, you don't know if it's satire because everything has gotten so absurd and up is down and left is right. Yeah, and yeah. and we're at this, this kind of unfortunate place in society. But I agree with you. I'm super optimistic about things. Every single day yeah. I'm super optimistic because there's something about how absurd it's gotten that I almost felt like it had to get really bad before things got better. Yeah. And as as they make, say the, the most absurd things they could possibly say about me, it makes me think that they're fearful of the left is somehow fearful and they know that something is about to break and really what what i'm what i'm selling is just like it doesn't need to be black and white anymore we can we can release this because what i've learned about the black community is that we unfortunately we've bought into this idea that we're separate from the american dream it's the most harmful thing it's horrible yeah horrible we we, yeah. we are actively taught our own oppression in school before we even get out and try before we even make an effort in society we have already been brainwashed to believe we can't and it's because of people like you it's yeah. because of white males right and 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 that is what actually is the biggest thing against us is ourselves yeah right if you buy into the victim narrative then you're a victim you're never going to be able to triumph and do anything in life and if you buy into the idea that everybody a everybody has to like you and b the past has to be fixed which by the way the past is never fixed the past is never fixed the past is past. It's done. There's nothing you can do about it. It's a tragedy. That's part of the tragedy of life. If you get into the idea that first you have to fix the past or first you have to get everybody to like you, you're wasting your entire oh life God, right? in bitterness and hatred. You yeah. know? And I think it's just it's just bad advice. I wouldn't give that advice to my son. I wouldn't give it to my daughter. I wouldn't give it to a friend. It's just a terrible, terrible thing to say to anybody. And when I read, uh, oh, the, his name goes out of my head, but that guy who just won the uh, MacArthur Award, uh, he's, he write, wrote the the, he writes this stuff about the black body and we should have reparations and all this stuff. And I just think I would never give that advice to anybody, you know, like, let it go. What are you going to contribute? What are you going to accomplish? The best reparation is embracing your future. Uh, really, right? really. <laughs> best you know? way to repair the past is to look towards the future. It's, it's just, it is very, it's dispiriting. Let me tell you why I'm optimistic, though. And this just comes from being 110 years old, okay? <laughs> I, I lived in New York when New York hit bottom. I mean, it was unbelievable. You could not go out for, in those days I smoked, you couldn't go out for a pack of cigarettes without being afraid for your life. People would not come to visit me because they were so afraid of the crime. Uh, I remember my birthday, we had a blackout. The city went up in flames with just riots and things like this. Uh, and it was terrible. Rudy Giuliani came into that city and cleaned it up. I mean, he turned it around. And every day he did that. The New York Times called him a racist. The New York Times called him a tyrant. They said he was a Nazi. They said everything they say about Donald Trump. And he turned that city around so it became the most beautiful. I mean, now de Blasio is dragging it back down. But for, for like a good 20 years uh, or more, he made that city into a beautiful, beautiful place. Probably the greatest city on earth. Uh, one guy, really. One administration not paying attention to, the, to what they were calling him. Same thing with Ronald Reagan. Jimmy Carter drove this country right into the ground. I don't think he was a bad, I think he's a bad guy now, but I'm not sure he was a bad guy then. He was just an incompetent. He just believed things that weren't true, kind of like Obama. Obama believed things that just weren't true. I thought it, it was easy to think that the West was over in the 1970s. And Reagan came in and they called him a racist every day and they called him a tyrant and they called him a warmonger and an idiot. He turned the country around. I mean, the country then went into like 25 years of incredible prosperity. So you only have to turn the ship in the right direction and things get better. And I think Donald Trump has done a lot of that. And like I opposed Donald Trump tooth and nail when he was in the primaries. I was just wrong. You know, I, I was I was afraid because of his uh, affect, because of that, you know, belligerent, kind of obstreperous, bore, even boorish. You should be used to that. You're from New York. Yeah, I, I, 
I was not as, you know, it is funny. <laughs> been, in, been in Los Angeles a little too long, huh? He, he talks just like everybody I grew up, you know, I knew everybody talked like mm-hmm. that. When that, that that tape about him talking about women came out and everybody was so shocked. I was like, you know, everybody I know talks like that, you know. <laughs> but, and, and I remember Trump from New York and I remember good things he did in New York, but I was, I was worried about him. He's done a really good job. And the fact that he is so... Uh, he doesn't care what they call him. He right. doesn't even hear what they call him. I think has been the strongest, his strongest point. And so I'm, I'm kind of cautiously optimistic that he'll win in 2020. And if he wins in 2020, I think our politics will not be the same for the next 20 years. Do you know what I, I find in interesting? I, I like your humility in admitting that you were wrong. I find that <laughs> conservatives really struggle with admitting when we're just wrong, right? When you're just like, I, I completely called it wrong. I'm, I'm willing to change my opinion or willing to change my mind. And so many people were just categorically wrong, which is understandable. He just was- He came uh, out of nowhere. He yeah. came out of nowhere. Yeah. He was something that we've never seen before in the political scene, had no political experience and was just just out there, you know, just, yeah. just really out there. And people were wondering, is he sane enough to do this? Is he gonna, you know, actually do things effectively? But now the results are in, right? So people that, that don't stand behind this now, how can you say you're, to me, how can you really say you're a conservative, right? When everything he has done from a policy perspective has been unbelievably conservative. Unbelievably. Un, like yeah. he's, he might be the most conservative president. I know I'm not saying much here, but it, definitely in my lifetime, yep. Yep. right? I, I think an argument is he's more conservative than Ronald Reagan. He's, he's, I think he's more successful in a lot of ways than Reagan is, at least in the first. Most most presidents, by the way, have six months. They do, do everything in the first six months of their presidency. If you look back, almost all their accomplishments are in the first six months to a year. So he had two years of really churning out important stuff. I mean, the, if only the deregulation and the tax taxes and the judges, uh, that's amazing stuff. That's right. an amazing accomplishment. Uh, he, he's been tremendously successful. He's a tough guy to deal with uh, for people like me because re- one of the things about Reagan is they called Reagan stupid every day. Reagan was deeply immersed in in uh, conservative philosophy. And you get the feeling that Trump is just flying by the seat of his pants, that he's an instinctive conservative, that he does the right thing instinctively. And that's a little harder to trust because what if his instincts go in a different way? Uh, he, he's a tough guy. He, he's, he, he is. You know, I, I really have, have cheered his, uh, his successes. I, as you say, I've admitted that I got him wrong. I had a video that got something like 17 million hits wow. uh, attacking him during the primaries. And I wish I could take it back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, but it's, it's good to it's good you know, to grow and be wrong well, sometimes, a, right? That like, is the only path to wisdom is right. to know when you've when you've got it wrong. But I mean, but he's still a difficult guy because uh, he's ill mannered. Um, he's done things in his life that it's hard to support. I mean, I don't think that's a good way to treat your wife or wives uh, the way he has. And and so you don't want to like sign on to everything, right? But. He's only, he's not my daddy. He's not my pal. Right. He's, he's not your husband. He's not. He's none of those things. Right. He's just uh, the president of the United States. And as the president of the United States, he's doing a great job. Right. And it's, it's actually funny that you say that because people speak a lot about the morality. And I say if, if morality was at the forefront of why we elected politicians, all of the, we'd be tearing down the statues of every American of president course, there ever course. was. And, and everybody we've, else. We've never elected a moral president, else, by the way. And everybody else, who among us would Right. You know, exactly. All of us, right? Yeah. We've <laughs> never elected a moral president before. I tell people that all the time. You may have thought so because maybe the mainstream media was on their yeah. side like they were on Obama. Everyone thinks he was, oh, my God, this amazing man who never did anything wrong. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely really, wrong. Really, I mean, um, we, you, you just have to remember that you're not electing someone to be the pope. It, whatever happens in their personal life, that personally is between that person and their wife and their family and their kids. Um, and the, the question is, are they driving America into the direction that we want it to be driven into? And uh, which is sort of 
conservatively, like, you know, is he is he abiding by the Constitution, you know, the well, things that we believe in? This is the other thing about him. Like, all you hear about him is he's an authoritarian, he's a Nazi, he's a dictator, the dictator's the new word they have. And I just keep saying, show me one place, because I'm really hypersensitive to this. I believe in the Constitution. Like, that, that is a big d- deal to me. And one of the things I really disliked about Obama is the way he transgressed the Constitution again and again, and nobody said a damn thing. Show me one place, one place where, where Trump has transgressed the Constitution, where he acted outside the boundaries of the law. And I can't think of even one. I can think of places where he's kind of edged, you know, back and the courts have slapped him down and he has stepped back. You know, I, he I just respects can't find it. He, he does. And he, he respects and, the Constitution. And he, and he acts within the law. They've been trying to get this guy. Look, this guy has been at the forefront of uh, American, the, the American imagination since when? The 80s, 70s. He's been around forever. They've been trying to bring him down forever. They've been investigating him forever. They've been auditing him forever. He'd be in jail if he was as bad as they they said he is. He's obviously not. He's obviously, you know, he's got a bit of the Carney Barker in him. He's got a bit of the, you know, he's a big mouth and he's he exaggerates. But even when they talk about his lies, his lies are all like, oh, it was the biggest crowd ever. Yeah. It was like kind of these over exaggerations. He's he's never said. He loves you know, superlatives. You yes, know, the best, yeah, the no, greatest. Said, right. <laughs> and, and you know that stuff helps the economy because people hear like, oh, he's he's gung ho for America. We're going to go invest and all that stuff. It's really been helpful. But he hasn't said, you know, you can keep your doctor. He hasn't said, oh, that terrorist was just a guy in the neighborhood when he was actually, you know, backing his campaign. He, he actually has, has been he's, – he's fulfilled his promises. His promises – his campaign promises mattered to him. Uh, he's done pretty well. And I think at this point the conservatives who don't back him, who just will not get off his back and will not step back, you know, it's not a sin to say some of the things that I say, that there are things about him I don't like. That's right. one thing. But to, to say that, you know, his, the opposition to him at this point is so loony, so anti-American, so anti-capitalism, so anti-everything we have ever stood for. He's the only game in town, you know, and I mean, he's he's doing a good job. And I think that I don't understand why we can't uh, unify around that and why we let the we let the media, we're talking about the atmosphere that the media creates. We let the, the media make us panicked about a good example, a good example. Donald Trump, the stuff he said about women, that if you're famous, women will let you do things. That's that a they, fact. It, that's a fact. The fact, but, he's, but he, and he said it. <laughs> women you know, hate when I say that. I'm like, that is a verifiable it's an ov- fact. It's an obvious fact, yeah. right. But okay, so you call him a bore because you use boorish language like New Yorkers do when they're alone, almost all of us. When, when we're alone, we talk like that. But call him a bore, fine. But Bill Clinton was plausibly accused of rape. And the atmosphere of hysteria around Trump's remarks versus the atmosphere of, well, you know, was it really rape and was it rape, rape? And I don't, you know, the atmosphere is just so different. And it's very hard when I talk to my liberal friends, they all say the same thing. They all say, well, I disapproved of that too. But no, they didn't. Not to this extent. And not in the same way and not with the same hysterical you know, oh, that makes him unable to, unfit to be president. So I don't know. You know, this is just part of like the the uh, the fight we're in. The right. fight we're in is to change that atmosphere, to get a loud enough voice, a strong enough voice, a smart enough voice, so that when they call us the things that they call you, not that we can silence them, simply we can beat them. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to, for us to beat them. I'm looking for us to have the courage, the intelligence, the culture awareness, which we're very weak on, uh, to fight back in the way that they fight because they fight so well. They fight dirty. They yeah. fight really dirty. Yeah. What would you say has been the hardest part for you? 
like just and when I say the hardest part of like whether it's being called something whether it's being like you know not being able to show up on a college campus what do you think has been the hardest part because I know we both have something yeah. in common yeah where we have family members that have bought into it yeah I, you know the hardest part for me is professional though I mean my family members they have bought into it and I'm sure they think terrible things about me uh but but you know I'm a born storyteller. I was born to do one thing. I only ever wanted to do one thing. I only ever wanted to write novels. And my novel career became a film, a screenwriting career. And I really enjoy doing that. And they've made it virtually impossible. Uh, you know, I, I still do it. I fight my way through. I have this book, Another Kingdom, which I put out as a podcast. And it was tremendously successful. But I had to put it out as a podcast because I knew when it has come out as a novel. But I knew that as a novel, I wasn't going to be able to sell it in the same way. Wait, I have to then, sh I have to shameless plug because I'm yeah. big on supporting conservatives because <laughs> they try to do this yeah. to all of us. You guys, if you have not gone out and bought it, please go out and, and support Andrew Clavin, Another Kingdom. Yes, you can buy it today. And it's good. You know, and it's I'm, good. I, I have to say, like, I, I think I'm one of the, the best popular novelists around. And I do. I think I would, I would put myself up against anybody there is. And they've made it tough, you know? I mean, things have happened to me. Like, like I wrote a book uh, for Christian young people, but a series of adventure stories for Christian young people, okay? So they were very clean, very... And they had Christian heroes. They weren't preachy. It's just the hero who was in the adventure would be a Christian person. I sold one of these series to England uh, for good money. And they were putting it out in this big way. And then they wrote to me and said, but you have to edit out all the references to the Bible. And I said, but the guy's a Christian. He refers to the Bible in his mind. Yeah, but our, our bookstore, Waterstones, won't sell it. They won't handle it if you don't cut it out. I said, I'm not going to do it. You know, I can't do that. That's like, you wouldn't ask me if I were Muslim. You wouldn't ask me if I were Jewish. You wouldn't ask me anything else except to cut out. The, and I wouldn't do it. I refused to do it. And the bookstore cut back their order to almost nothing. And I, I haven't had a contract in England since. You know, and I mean, I think that that's, that's the, the, the tough thing. And I, listen, I, I haven't lost a moment's sleep over it because I know I'm doing what's right. right. I know I'm speaking up, you know, and I know I'm doing the thing I'm, I was born to do and that God wants me to do and all stuff. But I won't tell you it's not painful. I mean, that's, that's the thing I love doing. That's where the thing I loved making a living at. And, um, and it's been, it, that's been tough. They have that power. Right. And I think for me, it's been the more personal stuff the, where it's like, you, yeah, I mean, you grow up with someone your entire life and you know them and they know you intimately and you, you are just, you know that there's no way that anybody could ever fracture anything between you. And then there's something weird happens when you become a public figure where their whole vision of you becomes distorted and they believe the articles that are being written about you. <laughs> yeah. So I've lost like a cousin who I was just so close with. It was yeah. insane. And I mean, just like the closest person growing up and and one smear piece went viral or you know one 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 uh something went viral i don't remember what it was and suddenly I'm, i log on to facebook and this person is actively saying something against me and saying that they have to you know disown me and i think that to me was like i don't care about what they say about me i don't care about uh losing friends i call it like shedding like you know coming out of a cocoon and becoming a butterfly yeah. like those friends weren't adding much intellectual value yeah uh but when it when it hits close to home when you lose a cousin it's brutal i mean that that i think has been the hardest thing for me yeah no i i, I see that i mean we, you know they're uh, they're friends who won't come over the house anymore and yeah. relatives who won't speak to me and all this stuff and they don't understand like they're so immersed. And this is why I say sometimes people don't even know the lies they're telling. They're so immersed in this culture. They read the New York Times and it surrounds them like a, a fog, you know. And, and they don't stop and say, well, 
this guy's always been a decent guy. Why is he saying these things? I mean, at at least I'm lucky enough that my wife has said, you know, like, I know... I know what you want. I know you want people to be free. I know you want people not to be oppressed by the government. So, so at least when I say things that might shock her, she understands that I'm, I am fighting for something that is good and decent and right, you know. And I think that I, I think that I wish more people thought that. They, I don't mind somebody saying, you know, I disagree with you. I think it's more important that we let these poor immigrants in than that the country keeps its, uh, uh, you know, upholds the rule of law. That's a debate. Right. I think there's all, all kinds of things we can debate. You know, I mean, this is one of the things I try to tell college students when I talk to them. All these, there are always smart debates under the stupid debates. Okay. So that like one side says, hey, you know, gay people love people of their own sex and they want to be married. And that's right and good because it's better than being promiscuous and, and being out. And the other side says, well, marriage is a pillar of society and you don't want to change it because maybe that pillar will fall down and the ceiling will come in. It's a debate. Two decent, good people can have that debate. But when you tell me that there's love and there's hate, then you're like in, you know, you're in this kind of weird uh, mythological territory where there's the good guys and the bad guys. Right. How can you have a debate about that? You can't. You know, right. So like when you when you tell me that some people are uncomfortable with their gender, I have sympathy for that. I think that must be a terrible I agree. thing, a, a painful thing. But when you tell me that actually turns them into women, a man turns a man into a woman, it's a stupid debate. You can't have that. Debate. And if I don't believe that, I'm a hater and I'm a, you know, a transphobic or something like that. That's a dumb debate, you know, right. uh, that we were talking about Islam, the debate about how we want to treat religions with respect and we want to be open to religions, uh, but maybe some religions are actually antithetical to Western thought. That's a debate. That is two sides, intelligent sides of goodwill that can come together. When you tell me that if I say, you know, a lot of killing being done in the name of Allah, and you say, well, you're an Islamophobe, that's a stupid debate. It's such a stupid, so, not a debate. So, right. So the, the problem I have is when you have a, a media, a news media, an entertainment media, an academy, that's all on one side, right? The debate gets stupid. That's the problem because we could, we Americans of goodwill, which I believe is probably 70% of Americans, you know, Americans of goodwill can discuss anything. You know, I, I said this at Stanford. I said, you guys should be up at three o'clock in the morning discussing gender. Gender is a fascinating topic with all kinds of ramifications. Talk about it all night, yell at each other, scream at each other. Nothing is out of bounds. Why should it be? You're 20 years old. You know, it's not time to put borders on what you say or what you think. It's time to expand what you think, you know. But we can't have this debate if every single form of media is populated by one side and is telling everybody that the other side is just hateful. Right. We're just Satan. We're just Satan, you know. And it's just, I mean, they do it, they even get it into the language, like like I said, Islamophobic, you know, racial racial profiling, which translates means police work, you know. That's one of the things policemen have to do, you know. And and they, they do it all the time, you know, objectifying women. What does that mean? Guys like to look at girls, you know. That's why we're all here. We're all here because because guys like to look at girls, you know, and you when you put these words on it that the minute you talk about them, you're somehow talking about something wrong. Debate gets stupid. And I and I just think I'd like to see one of the things I'd like to see conservatives do is is up the debate, you know, bring on people. I constantly invite people I disagree with. We try. With. 
They won't come. They won't come. No, no. They won't come because they don't actually believe what they believe. And right. You know, I, I, we offered $100,000 for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to debate me. I mean, <laughs> we are the same age. Yeah. We almost have the same initials, CAO versus the AOC. Yeah. You know, we, we are just, we are diametrically opposed, right? So what better way? Okay, you are the ultimate socialist. I'm the ultimate capitalist, right? You can't use your argument that you're, you're a female. You can't use your argument that you're a minority. So you're just going to have to think your thoughts, right? You're just going to have to present your ideas. <laughs> Right. And no, no, thank you. Doesn't yeah. want to do that because she she feels safe when she stays in this space. And she just says anybody that disagrees with me is a racist. Anybody that disagrees with me is a sexist. Oh, old Republican white men again disagreeing with me. And the only way that you're going to be able to defeat that is yeah. you have to have someone come in that is uh, sits atop of her on the progressive stack. Yep. Oh, well, you might be Hispanic, but black people have been more oppressed historically. So according to your own leftist rules, you can't use that card anymore. Your card has been trumped. Now let's debate your ideas. Yeah. And they don't come because they don't believe their ideas right. of course everything can't be free right that's it's an impossible thing that she's even advocating for but she doesn't understand what she's advocating for she just knows how to use instagram how to use twitter and how to drum up people talking about her because she says things that are just so pointedly ridiculous and i have found this to be true about all leftists they do not want to debate their ideas they will not sit down we had a uh, uh pete i still can't say his last name which is why <laughs> yeah. number one reason he's not gonna be president is because no one can say it okay yeah. not go on the dave rubin show right his has, he's not going to go on the, on the Dave Rubin show. You have Elizabeth Warren saying that she will not go on Fox News because uh, they are a hateful hate, network. Hate. They're a racist, it's a yeah. hateful if racist network. Me, which hate. means yeah. I'm going to stay in my safe space and no one's going to ask me tough questions. Right. Right. And that's what the and, left has become. And it's, it's really embarrassing on my show because on my show, I don't debate people. I let them speak. I ask them questions and I challenge them, but I let them speak and I never shout at anybody or anything. They still won't, they just won't do it. And part of it, by the way, is because they've created a world in which if, if they come on your show, that could hurt them. Right, that's true. People say, well, you went on that Nazi show, right. you know, that, that, no, that that's white true. supremacist. It's the world Candace, they helped create, the which is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. the world that they helped that's create, right. which is ridiculous. That's right. And then they have to abide by those rules. Yeah. Look, I hope there's a change. I, I say all the time, if there is a leftist politician or a leftist thought leader, that might be a bit um, a bit of an oxymoron, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> would like to come onto my show, we always invite them. Okay, Andrew, so we wrap up each episode with two minutes. You look at the camera. And for two minutes, you get to just leave a vibration with the world. You can say anything you want. <laughs> if everyone had to listen to this two minutes and it just had to be written into law tomorrow. Oh goodness, and right. they said, you know what? Thank goodness. Andrew Clavin said this. <laughs> now I'm going to enact this into, I'm going to put this into my life and make it a thing. All right. He's going to time you. All right. On your mark, get set. Andrew Clavin's two minutes. All right. The thing you have to remember about free speech is there's only two systems of speech. There's free speech in which everybody gets to talk and there's speech controlled by the powerful. And when I say the powerful, I mean people have the ability to punish you if you don't do what they say. That's the government. That is people in large uh, in institutions like corporations. And it's the mob, by which I don't mean the mafia. I mean people who show up and throw things and cause trouble. You either have free speech in which everybody talks or you have speech controlled by the powerful. Because once you start to say, oh yes, you can speak as long as you're not hateful, the question becomes, who decides what's hateful? Is it gonna be the ordinary Joe on the street who decides what's hateful? Or is it going to be the head of Apple, Tim Cook? Or is it going to be the head of Facebook? Or is it going to be the government? It's going to be the powerful who decide what's hateful and what is not allowed to be said. And so you have to have free speech, which means including people that you don't like and that you disagree with. Your freedom depends on the freedom 
of the people you disagree with because you can't have uh, one side being free and the other not free. Ultimately, that's just a question of power as well. The thing to remember is the people who are silencing people, the people who are censoring people are all powerful people. So the ordinary people, you and me, have to talk to one another. We have to talk to one another when we disagree. We have to talk to one another when we're at the dinner table. We have to talk to one another in ordinary conversation and not allow the powerful to decree what we can and can't say. The people on the left who vote Democratic are not the leaders. They're not the same as AOC and the, and the people who scream hate and the people who uh, disallow right-wing speech. Most of the people on the left are just as sensible as the people on the right. We just disagree. And if we talk to one another, and if we don't let the powerful silence us, the country can turn around. I've seen it happen before. I've been around a long time. I've seen this country go right into the trough, and I've seen it come up again simply because people defied the attempts to silence them. It'll happen again. There we go. Thank you so much for joining the Candace Owen Show. It's always great to see you. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> Thanks. It's so interesting. I still don't know where I fall. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.